This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Amen, amen, amen. Well, CLC family, say family. It is so good. Haven't we had a powerful time of worship? Can we just show our appreciation to all of our musicians, all of our media, video team, those that are back up helping us to experience? Come on, give them a shout. Online family, you really need them. So thumbs up and like it. You wouldn't be able to join us if it wasn't for that team. We love, the, we love our worship music media uh, department. Our online family, we love you guys. And uh, we know for whatever reason you're not able to be here in person. But we want you to know that our hearts are knit. And we're thankful that you're a part of our online family. Are you ready to jump into the Word? All right, we just finished our Kingdom Builders Convention, and last week, our missionary speaker, Dick Brogdon, shared with us Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel, say it with me out loud, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony, I don't hear nobody saying it with me, as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Today I want to continue on with that theme. I want to start with you, uh, start today by sharing a story, a, a parable in a sense with you. There was a small town on the uh, north part of the coast of Maine that overlooked the Atlantic Ocean. It was a peaceful town. People cared for one another. Crime was virtually non-existent. In the, in, in the, in the, you know, the villagers or the townspeople went about their daily lives pretty much problem-free. But the town did have one problem, being nested on the northern part of England, right on the coast. Every few weeks, the town newspaper would talk about a ship that had crashed out on the rocks that was just off of the coast of this town. The headlines would read something like, another uh, seven or eight lost their lives, no survivors, third shipwreck this month. I mean, it was regular. Every, everyone in the town knew that there were rocks. They were dangerous rocks. They were submerged up underneath the shoreline. But as Folks would come as captains would uh, uh, captain their boat in. Many times they would not know that those rocks were there and they would crash their boats up against those unforgiving, jagged, edged rocks. And as they did, the, 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 the handsmen or, or those on the boat would abandon ship. But the currents were so uh, rough underneath that the, 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 the strength of the ocean right there seldom if ever would anybody survive. In fact, in the history of the town, nobody had ever survived the crash on the rocks. One day, a man got an idea. He thought, if only we could warn those ships. If only we could find a way to tell them that there's danger that lies underneath the water, we could save so many lives. The man started sharing with everybody in the town. He started telling others about that vision. And the vision began to build momentum. 
In fact, everybody started to talk about it, how they wanted to warn and help everybody that would be coming in so that nobody else would lose their lives. So they got a plan that on the highest point overlooking the ocean, they would board, they would, they would in a sense bring all of their savings, they would pull it together, they would bring their own skills and they would build a small house there. And there they would build a tower. And at the top of the tower, they would put the, the, the brightest light that they could find. We know that as like a lighthouse. And, and there that light would shine as a beacon in the night that would warn the sailors and the captains of the danger that was, a, that was coming ahead of them. And so that morning came when they finally finished that task. They'd raised the money, they had built the house, they had put up the, the light, and all the people cheered, and there was great excitement and joy because they had worked hard, they, 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 they did what they could, and now every evening that light would shine and the boats would see it and they would change their course and they would sail in to safe waters. Man, the people of the town were excited. No more lost lives. No more uh, uh, would they see that, that people would, would, uh, 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 would, would die in the, in the waters that were there. They were so excited about the possibility that was there. The only problem is that there still was a shipwreck. A few months later, there was a captain that knew those waters very well. And so when he saw the light, he thought to himself, I know where to go. I've gone through these waters before. I've, I've charted this course many times. I know what to do. In his hardness and in his rebellion, he went ahead and he hit the rocks. When he hit the rocks, there was still a number, seven or eight, that lost their lives. And the townspeople were heartbroken. Everything that they had done, the lighthouse that had been put up, everything that they could do to save those that, 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 that could be saved, and yet some still lost their lives. So they got another idea. The idea that they got then is not only did we need the light, but now we need to form some kind of rescue committee or a, a, a team that would go out and rescue anybody that would hit those rocks so that nobody's lives would be lost. And so they once again begin to gather up all of their money. They begin to get everything that they need. I mean, they bought boats and life jackets. They, brought, they bought rescue equipment, everything that they had. They even bought a bell that they could ring as a warning of that which was going to happen so that if anything happened and if someone did hit the rocks, the rescue committee could quickly come together and they could run out, rush out in the boats and rescue those passengers or those sailors from drowning. And it worked. It worked. For several years, not one life was lost. The rescue society did very well. And, and in fact, it began to grow. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. I mean, everybody wanted to tend the light. They wanted to pilot the boats. They wanted to be a part and do their part. And it was an exciting time. Time passed, years went by, and the rescue society really became a central part of life of that town and that community. And they would talk about the rescues that they had had. They would talk about, you know, what they had done. They even began, I mean, they would talk about the stories and, and everything, and they even began to have training classes. That's right. 
classes on how, from a very young age, how to rescue those that would be lost at sea. Man, they bought the best boats. They were shiny boats, the best life vests that they could get. I mean, they even had songs about how to rescue people. I mean, it was incredible. Can You know where I'm going, right? I mean, it was incredible. The classes, the newest techniques. I mean, they were buzzing with activity. But then something happened. Something happened is that rescue society began to get very comfortable in coming together and fewer and fewer really wanted to go out and rescue people. Fewer and fewer really wanted to go out on what their very mission and purpose was and that is to warn those that were coming towards the dangerous waters of what lied ahead. Well, the nights were cold. Fewer and fewer people would get and, and, and be a part of all that, that was needed to be a rescue society. Oh, they loved coming together. They loved what they were doing. But then the night came. It was a Tuesday night. They were playing bingo in the lighthouse, in the rescue center. But without realizing it, their light had gone out. You see, the reality was that they missed what their purpose was. They missed what they were created to do. They had forgotten. They had drifted off. And boy, before long, the papers began to read again. Disasters off sea. Many have lost their lives. They would begin to read it. And now that rescue committee and society that once was burdened by those news lines now didn't really even care. They would maybe read it. They would maybe talk about it. And the boat stayed at the docks. Everything stayed hanging. Everything was beautiful and shining. But the reality was they were no longer doing what they were created to do. Now in that parable and in that story, we can identify as a church. And today I want to talk about this for a few moments. And as I do, my hope and my prayer is that God would convict us. That God would challenge us. See, I don't think the problem today is education. I don't think it's to share with you what our mission and vision is. I really don't think it's about singing another song and getting excited about rescuing those that are out there and talking about how much we want to rescue them. I think the problem is, is we've got to be willing to do what God has called us to do. There's a mission and we must live life on mission. Let's pause as I get into the word. Father, as we look into your word today, we know it's anointed, it's powerful. And today I pray, God, that you would touch our heart with your word, that you would touch our hearts with your spirit. And that, Father, you would remind us once again of the task and the mission that you've told us to. In your name we pray, amen. Pastor, what is our mission? Well, as a church, we call it here at Christian Life Center that our mission is to be messengers of hope. Say that, messengers of hope. And people who know that their lives have been impacted, people that have really seen Jesus. I mean, we've prayed about it today. We've been challenged by it today. We've heard about it today. We've said, yes, we wanna see you. But the reality for you and I is if we want to make a difference with our life and if we really understand our true mission, 
then we've got to understand there's a vision, there's a dream, there's a goal, and that no matter what in our life, we've got to be willing to do whatever it is the Lord is asking us to do. You see, when you make a commitment to be a follower of Christ, God gives you a new mission for life. Before coming to Christ, life was really about yourself. Paul talks about that a lot in all of his writings. He talks about don't be like those that are in the world that live their life to the things and values of the world. But as a part of the kingdom of God, Paul would say that you and I have a mission and that mission must be the priority and the focus of our life. In fact, Paul said it this way in his own life, Acts chapter 20. In verse 24, in the Living Bible, Paul says, life is worth nothing, underline it, nothing, unless I use it for doing the work, the ministry, the assignment that God assigned by me, assigned me by the Lord Jesus Christ. That work, that ministry, that purpose is telling others about the good news. We call the good news, the message of hope, the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. So what was Paul saying is, my life, my life doesn't count unless I fulfill, I complete, the good news Bible says, I complete my mission. Unless I do what I was made to do, if I complete the task that God has called me to do. Well, we want to talk about that today. Look with me in Mark chapter 4. We're starting a new series called Red Letters, and we're looking at the parables of Jesus, especially a few of them that are linked together. We're going to be looking at them for the next few weeks. And in Mark chapter 4, there are two great lessons in this parable. The first is that there is the lesson of sowing seed. This is the lesson of the messenger of God or a genuine believer who sows the seed, which is the word of God. That's what we're going to focus on today. But the second lesson is how we usually study this parable, and that is how do we receive the seed? The lesson of the hearers that hear the word of God, how do we receive it? Most of us have studied it this way. Now, before I begin reading, I want you to understand that the soil is the heart of man. And, it, and, and, and we're going to see that the soil differs depending on the condition of one's heart. It may be very hard, almost pavement-like ground that's been walked on and treaded upon and walked upon. It's very, very hard. Farmers, when they would sow seed, they would not want to ruin their crop, so they would make paths that they would walk, usually along the edge of their field, and they would scatter their seed. And they would take it, and they would be scattering it sort of like this, and it would go everywhere. And as they're scattering it, they're walking along the footpath. And we're going to see that some of that seed would also fall over in the rocks that would be on the side of the footpath. If you go with us to Israel, you will see that there will be fields, but along the fields many times are rocks and hard areas, and some of the seed would fall over there. And so the, the, the farmer is sowing the seed, and he's throwing it out, and it's falling wherever. He's targeting the fertile soil, but some of it would fall on the path, and some of it would get over into the rocky area. 
Mark chapter 4, look with me in verse, uh, verse 1. Jesus began to teach. He was by the lake. I love going to um, the Sea of Galilee is what he's talking about. And uh, Jesus was there. He was teaching. And the crowd had gathered around him. And there was a, a, a large crowd. And so he got into a boat. And he sat there, and he began to teach on the lake. So the crowd, sort of like what I'm looking at today, would be on the shoreline. And Jesus pushed off a little bit in a boat, and he began to teach those that had come. In fact, if you ever go there, that water becomes kind of an amplifier that would enable his voice to be amplified so that everybody could hear what was being taught. This is the picture. He got into a boat. And he sat on it in the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teachings, he said, listen. He was trying to get their attention. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And he was scattering the seed and some fell along this path. And the birds came, the hard path, and they ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, uh, when the sun came up, when the heat and the trials of life began to hit it, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell into the thorns, which grew up, but it choked out the plants so they did not get to bear grain. And lastly, other seed fell on good soil. And when it came up, that soil produced a crop, of, uh, produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, and 100 times what was sold, sold, uh, sown. And Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Just say that with me. Let him hear. When he was alone, the disciples and the others uh, came around him and they asked about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has to be given to you. But to those who are outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they may turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, do you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. We call this the message of hope. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and he takes away the word that has been sown into them. Others, like seed sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seed sown among the thorns hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And lastly, though, verse 20, others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word. They hear it. They accept it and produce a crop 30, 60, and even 100 times what was sown. The message of hope. He's talking about a farmer that begins to sow the seed. 
We call that a messenger of hope. It's one of our mottos. It's, it's one of our mission, vision statements that we are messengers of hope. We wear shirts. We have logos. We want to remind ourselves everywhere that, that we go that we are farmers that are sowing seed. Genuine believers, we are tasked with the challenge to sow seed, which is the word of God, wherever we go. Regardless of the difficulty, regardless of the opposition, regardless how discouraged I may be, I still have a mission as a messenger of hope, and it's to bring others into God's family. Can I get an agreement? Why is that important? It's because there's a myth that says people are not open. People don't want to, to hear the word. But John 4 tells us that, that people's hearts are open. And if we will open our eyes, we will see a harvest that's there. And we can help bring in the harvest. There's a myth that sharing or sowing is only for a few. Pastor Sean is our outreach pastor. Pastor Sean and his department, they're the ones that go and sow. I'm on the worship team. I'm a life group leader. I'm in the red carpet team. That's not my job. That's their job. That department's job is to go and to sow. And Jesus would discount that and say, no, all of us are like farmers that go and we sow the seed. Now, when Jesus is teaching, sitting before him, now remember, he's out in a boat. Man, that's why I identify with Jesus. I like boats. I like water. I mean, here he is. He's out in the boat, and he's teaching this crowd. And as he's teaching it, before him are the hard, the, the close-hearted, the religious ones that don't want to receive. In fact, they're out to attack him. They're the hardened. And then there's the poor, there's the needy, there's are those that, that they only want what Jesus is going to touch them and do for them. They don't really want him, they want what they're, that they're going to get from him. We often say it this way, you're seeking what the gift is instead of the giver. You're seeking the healing instead of the healer. You're seeking what you're going to get instead of the one that's going to give it. But if we will seek the giver and the one that gives the life and brings all of life to you and I, if we seek him, then all of a sudden, all these things are added to us. But before Jesus were those that only wanted something from him. They really didn't want this message that he was going to share. And then before him was also those that were well-to-do. They were entangled with the things of, of the world, the pleasures of life and the things of the world. And so this is his crowd as he's talking to them. And yet Jesus will say that my mission... In fact, in other places, Jesus would say, the mission that the Father sent me to do, I give that mission to you. I want you to go everywhere to everyone. I want you to be my ambassador. I want you to be a lighthouse. You are not just a club to gather together and sing about the mission. You've got to be a rescue society that goes on mission. As the Father has sent me, I send you. I send you. And he said, but before you go, you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You need my spirit with you to anoint you. But we go and we take that seed, which is the word of God, and we share it everywhere to everyone. We are the farmers in the story. Now, the well, thing that we see in the story is that the farmer did go. He went out. 
But in our parable that I opened with earlier, I think the church at large has drifted and many have drifted into, we love the club that we call the church. We love the feeling. We love to sing about it. We love to talk about it. We love the classes on how to rescue. We love to, to, to tell about the stories of those that are rescued. In fact, we get real excited when there's one or two that have been rescued. Because somehow it kind of makes me feel good that somebody else is out doing it and I get to be a part of it. And we've drifted. Now, I know you may say, Pastor, this is not how you... You don't usually preach like this. It's the scripture. It's not me. It's the challenge to all of us that we are called to go and to sow. Now, here's the current status of the soil and the sower. In our modern day, here in America, for my online family that are in other countries, let me take a moment and just talk about the, the status or the situation of what we're facing here in America. 47% of what's called millennials, millennials are between the age of about 20 to 34 years old, 47% believe it's wrong to evangelize, that it's wrong to share with someone outside your belief system, your belief system, and therefore they're hesitant to share their faith. By the way, that's those that are in the church. 47%. We're on a decline of the perception of Christian faith in America. Many are believing it's, I can't say it, irrelevant. Did I get it right? My whole study was about getting that word right. I can't say it twice in a row, but I got it out the first time. That sharing our faith is politically incorrect or that even in the church, it's politically corrupt. That in the church, there's moral hypocrisy and therefore we shouldn't share our faith. Gen Z are those that are reaching up to about the age of 20, feel little pressure to maintain a faith identity out in society. Two out of five believers, two out of five believers have no Christian friends. In fact, the longer that you're a believer, the more likely it is that you don't have any Christian friends. 56% percent showed that there was no conversations about faith with unbelievers this last year. So they shared with nobody that was dying out in the, the waters about how to receive life. The America, American church is de-churching and becoming much more and more increasingly isolated. Those who say that they are Christian, fewer and fewer are actually even attending church. They call themselves Christians and yet they're not attending Many are surfing religious content. And even as they search for religious content, they're becoming weaker and weaker in their faith because they're not connected with a Bible-believing community. 
fewer and fewer of those that are a part of, a, 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 of an isolated moment in their faith, the deep church, so to speak, have any kind of network of Christian friends that they can be honest with, that they can regularly pray and worship with, Yes, they may just tune in to several different preachings. They might listen to 10 sermons a week, but they have no real spiritual community around their life. We have challenges before us. I would propose to us today and propose that we have drifted from our mission. There are cultural perceptions that we must deal with the pure reputation of the church and, 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 and what the church should be has been lost and the reputation of the church and believers has gotten poor among the unbelievers, which has made the soil harder and harder and harder. More conversations about faith. When we share our faith with more people, the more we share it, the, 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 the more it begins to soften that which has become hardened. In a recent survey, one out of 10, this is very enlightening, only, let me start it, one in 10 didn't feel equipped to share their faith. For example, last year, CLC with Pastor Sean and our outreach department, over 450 of our CLC family were trained on how to be what we call a co-journer, how to share your life and your faith and the message of hope with others. One in 10, only one in 10 don't feel equipped. The real issue is not that we're not equipped. The real issue is we're not willing. The real issue is that we don't have a burden anymore. We're not passionate about it anymore. What we once did, we don't do anymore. We believe that, that our faith is something that can save us, but we don't have a conviction that moves us out to share it with others. It's a life-saving message. And instead of becoming a club, We've got to remember why the Lord has called us together. What is the mission and purpose? What is it that God has called us to do? I love the church. Can I hear an amen? I love the church. I love coming in and worshiping. I love seeking God. I love nights ablaze. I love what God is doing. But we must not just become a club. We must see and we must ask God, convict our heart, oh God, for the loss that's around us. There was a gentleman a number of years ago that wrote a book. The book was a powerful book, and, and it was What's Gone Wrong with the Harvest. James Ingle was his name, and from that he developed, and what was developed we call the Ingle Scale. Now the Ingle Scale is very helpful, and I'm going to illustrate it here. The Ingle Scale helps us to understand that the more faith, and more stories of faith, and the more what God can do, and the experiences of what God is doing, not just what he's done for others or in the past, but what he's doing, the attitude of the one that's receiving it. So I'm gonna bring a couple, uh, a couple uh, of our young adults up here, a couple of our Vive guys. I wanna bring them up. Come on up, guys. We're gonna get right here in the light. All right. Let everybody know, I don't have a microphone, and you don't need one. Everybody, tell everybody your name again. Marcus. Marcus. Say hi, Marcus. You married? Yes. Married. Where's your wife? Beautiful wife, Michaela, right? Michaela, Marcus and Michaela. And then, oh, I, 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 
Say it again for me. Tyree. 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 All right. Married? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> All right, ladies, hold on. Okay, Marcus, one of you are going to be an unbeliever. You're a pagan. You, you weren't raised in church. Which one of you are the pagan? Tyree. All right. It's, hey, it's, I'm just acting it out. We're just... All right. And Marcus, you're the believer. You're a friend of Tyree's, right? Now, you don't have to say nothing, but I'm going to walk through the Ingle scale, and I want you to just kind of walk with me, all right? So here is Tyree. He is so far from God. He doesn't even believe that there is a God. He's at a place. He's, a, he's, a, he's cynical, and he's a skeptical of anything dealing with the faith. You understand where I'm at? That's, that's where he's at. And, 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 and what happens, there's going to be several stages. And I want you to just kind of visualize with me the Engel scale. So, Marcus, it starts where Tyree is so, so opposed to the gospel. But he has a friendship with you. You're his friend, and, and because you're his friend, and because you're a believer, and because you've been challenged, and, and because you're in a great church like CLC, and we're challenging you to be a messenger of hope, you begin to build a relationship. Now, in that relationship, what you're doing is that you're beginning to share your life. Say, share your life. Now, what I mean by share your life is that you begin to share your own journey. You may play sports together. Do you guys play anything together? You play basketball? Play basketball together. You pretty good? Nah. At least he's honest, right? Other guys, which, yeah, I'm okay, you know. Vince, is that false humility or is he being true? False humility. Okay. That means you're pretty good. All right, all right. Ladies, hold back. Hold back. He's also athletic, so, you know. All right. So Marcus starts playing ball with him, and, you know, he's not overpowering it. He's not, he's not demanding it. I mean, he's, he's just going with him, and, 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 and Tyreed is, is cynical about it. Tyree is at a place that he's skeptical about Christianity and Christians, and he's heard the stories, and he's been around them, and people that should be Christian that aren't loving or, or aren't living according to what the Bible says. But what he's doing is he's helping, uh, uh, Marcus is helping Tyree to begin to emotionally emotionally understand by his presence at this stage let's just say it's 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 negative 10 right here zero is salvation let's say he's at a negative 10 right now the most important thing Marcus can do is build relationship he can share his life he can invite him to join the journey with him that, that he begins to help him in his mind. The battle is in his mind. It's an intellectual barrier that's in his mind. And he's got to begin to speak to his mind because he's got to overcome this indifference. He's got to overcome this feeling of fear and, and, and antagonism and misconceptions that he's got. And so what's happening is by Marcus's life being in Tyree's life, his presence begins to give a credibility. Are you with me? Now, there'll be opportunity. Marcus will, Tyree will say, what'd you do this weekend? There'll be opportunity. Oh, we went to church, me and my wife, we went to church. That might be all that's said at that moment. It's just, we went to church. 
they had, you know, he shares that. Or, hey, we went to this conference and, and we, we, uh, we learned how to, how to uh, budget our money and buy a house and, and we learned how to invest. Now, he's not really witnessing yet. His life is the witness. You getting me? You see, he's just present in his life. The problem is we've become a rescue society that doesn't have friends in our life. This happened to me the other day. I, uh, I, we, have a, we, have a, we have a dog. It's a little dog. Don't judge me, guys. I heard from one of my staff members that if you don't have a big dog as a guy, you kind of lose your man card. I mean, it's... And uh, so I have a little dog. It's my wife's dog. And... Um, and uh, our dog's name is uh, Dash. And uh, my wife named it. You're wondering, what's Dash? I, uh, it's her dog. I don't know. But how many know that uh, it's never your wife's dog? It's really your dog. And so I'm the one that gets to walk the dog. And, and so I walk the dog, and I'm meeting the neighbors. And this has been going on for several years now. And across the street from me is a... Uh, a Muslim family from India, very, I mean, I can tell, very strict Muslim. You know, I ran into him in Publix last year, and, uh, you know, I said, what's going on? He said, I'm just looking for something to eat. We're fasting right now, and, you know, and they can only eat certain things, and, and, and he says, oh, you know all about that, because they know that we're a pastor, right? And, and while the other day, I was walking, and I saw that he was just kind of hanging out around his car. Now, he's like, he's like Jareed here, you know, I didn't say it right. Tyree, he's like, he's, I mean, he's a Muslim, he's probably cynical of Christianity, he's probably opposed to Christianity, but he knows what we are, he knows that we're believers, he knows I do something with the church, and, uh, and so, you know, he, he kind of knows that there's a faith basis to us, and so I was walking the dog, I saw he was just kind of hanging out over, over by his car, and that's not normally like him, it's usually a wave, and he goes in, I might get a couple minute talk, and that's about it. And then as I got closer, he kind of came up and we started to, to talk. And I said, hey, how's things going? And his first words out of his mouth was, not very good. Things aren't going very good. Now, cynical, skeptical, long period, two and a half years or more, there's just been casual. I mean, I've not really even been in his life in a major way. We've invited the neighbors to go do things. And they've all, you know, once they find out you're a pastor, they don't want nothing to do with you. You know, it's just like... You know, it just, you know, you got to just kind of leave that out, right? Just leave that out. And, and, uh, and he says, but it's not going very well. I said, what's wrong? And he started telling me that they went over to India for a few weeks. And, and as they were coming back, his son, they didn't know it, got a blood clot. And by the time he got off his flight, he couldn't even walk. His legs were swollen. And, uh, and, and they had to rush him from the airport in Miami straight to the hospital. And that he almost lost his life. Now, this is a young man. He's like 17 years old. He's out playing ball. He's, you know, he's, he, uh, he's a senior planning for his future. And he almost dies. And he had just gotten out of the hospital. And man, his dad was like emotionally, he was broken and he was going through all of it. And, and as, as that moment came, I said, can I pray for your son? He told me his son's name and we prayed together right there. He bowed his head. We prayed together. I tried not to be offensive, but I worked Jesus in there a couple times. You know, I, 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 I just kind of like, let's make sure we're praying to the same God, right? And... and and I just kind of like worked it in there. But he was cynical. 
He was a critic. He's opposed. But God placed him in my life. And our presence is what's most important. In this phase where you've got people around you that are cynical, what you're doing is you're cultivating Cultivating relationship. You're talking to them. You're sharing with them. You're helping them to understand the message a little bit. You're looking for opportunities to share the word and to work it in. But then, after a while, it moves from being cynical and, and, uh, and, and, and sarcastic. It moves to another phase. And when you move to another phase, and by the way, this is the greatest thing, is to realize that Sometimes you can't take one that's cynical. You can't take one that's avoiding it and, and is a skeptical. You can't take them all the way from negative 10 all the way to conversion. There may be 8 or 10 or 20 different people that sow the word of God in their life. Examples and of what God is doing and saying. There might be years of sowing. For some of you, that's been your family. For some of you, you've been on a long journey and you're saying, God, why haven't you saved them yet? It's a journey. And their heart hasn't been ready. It's been hardened or it's shallow or it's thorny. There's all of these things that have hindered them and they've not gotten. See, at the end of the day, we can pray, we can sow seed, we can share our life. But at the end of the day, he's got to make the choice. And if you're faithful, and if you do what God's called you to do, to sow the seed, to pray, to share your life, to walk the journey, you've got to realize that you do what you can do, but then it's God that does the rest. So we keep sowing the seed. We keep moving. Now, in this next phase, it's sowing seed. Now, he's moving from the skeptic and being cynical to being a little bit of a spectator. Because now you might invite him to come to, a, to an Easter program. You might invite him to come to, to something that would maybe be beneficial, that financial class or that marriage class or, or something that has an interest of what they have. Maybe it's to play basketball or to do some other sport. What's happening now is the relationship is moving further where now you're not just dealing with the emotions, but now you're beginning to help their mind to begin to understand what faith really is. And there'll be opportunities in this phase where they're a spectator or where they begin to look and you're sowing seed. You've been cultivating relationship, but now you're sowing seed. Can I tell you what begins to happen is Tyree begins to open up. The more we receive, the more we experience, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the good news of the message of Christ. The more you share your story, you're sharing the good news. The more you share what God's doing in your life and in your marriage and in your children, the more you're sharing that, you're sowing seed. They're becoming aware of the gospel. As they become aware of the gospel, they begin to find, because you begin to find opportunity to share what it means to be a Christ follower. You begin to share the gospel and, and, and what it means and what it's done in your life. Next week, we'll talk about your story. And when you share your story, your story is powerful. Nobody can debate your story because it's your story. 
It's your story. It's your experience. It's what God's done in your life. And so sowing begins to happen in the relationship. Now, Tyreed is he's hearing more and he's becoming a little bit more active that they move to another phase. Let's get over here in the light. Now they're moving, in a sense, to a third phase. The third phase is where Tyree, maybe this has been five years. Maybe it's been ten years. Maybe it's been so many opportunities to share the faith. Maybe Tyree has cut him off, cut him down. Maybe he's even said, I don't want to hear about it anymore. I don't want to hear anything about it. We have a friend in our life. He married into a... He married into a... Um, Oh, I, the Mormon faith. The only thing I think about is many wives. And that. <laughs> I just kind of lost it right there, you know. And he married into the Mormon, you know, a Mormon, into a Mormon f- uh, family. And his wife was the first one that's ever, all the way back, generations, the first one that has turned to Christ. They met in Bible school. She went to a Bible school. He, he met her. They got married. They've got children. And he said he would always be sharing about Christ with the mom, with the dad, with the siblings. He would always be. And they were resistant. And they were resistant. And they were resistant. And they were like, the, the, the Mormonism has been so good to us. We're not going to leave it. We're thankful for you and, and for what you do for our daughter. But we're not going to leave it. And he said, finally, the Lord said, you got to leave it to me. You got to just live the faith before them. You got to just live an example before them. Look for opportunities to share my love and principles and let me do the rest. You see, you get to that pace where where you're sowing the seed and you don't know what's going to happen, but you just keep sowing and you let God do the rest. But he said, there came a time where he said, Tom, he said, all of a sudden, my mother-in-law started saying, you know, I've got a friend and my friend needs this, and our church doesn't do that, but yours does. Will you take them to church? Will you do this? Will you get them help? And he said, before you knew it, she was the biggest evangelist that I'd ever seen. Now, she's never really, he said, said like, I'm a believer or a Christ follower. He says, but her life is like there. It's going there, and it was just years of presence and and cynical and skeptical becomes now being a seeker or you're beginning to be one that's, that's looking. And what's happening is now your heart is beginning to be softened. Now, where do you and I fit in is we're sowing seed. We're presenting the gospel. We're sharing our story. We're present. We're there. We can do what we can. And as we do, the light of the gospel begins to go off in their life. And that moves them then really to the stage of conversion. Can we say amen? amen. Tyree gets saved. He, he finally says yes to God. He finally gives his Lord to the Lord. And man, what a thrill it is when you get to lead a family member to the Lord. I mean, it's one thing to go out and evangelize and win someone to the Lord. That's exciting. But when it's a family member, when it's a son or a daughter or, or, or it's a friend or it's a colleague and they were cynical and skeptical, but in the journey of life, God saves them. Isn't that, a, I mean, it's incredible. Now, in the Engel scale, it doesn't stop right here. 
It doesn't stop at salvation. In the Engel scale, Marcus is what Pastor Sean and his team lead us to understand. Marcus is a co-journer with Tyree. He's walking this journey. Once Tyree gives his life to the Lord, Marcus's job is not done. Marcus doesn't say to Pastor Tom, okay, I did my job, now it's your job. No, 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 no. In fact, the Great Commission is given to everyone, not just pastors. And so the Lord would say to disciples, go into all the world, go is the journey and make disciples. And so now Marcus continues to walk a journey and you're going to get hidden. Let's come on to this other side. All the way over here. All the way over here. And now he's walking the process of discipleship. So I'm sure you know this. You're one of our great leaders. He gives us, <laughs> I heard you over there. That was a little too loud over there. Now, he's given, Tyree's given his life to the Lord. What would be one of the first things that you would do when he comes to Christ? Yeah, say he comes to the Lord, he gives his life to the Lord. What, what would you begin doing? We didn't rehearse this beforehand. What did you do? Yeah. How many been to encounter? I mean, you would begin to say, hey, you should get water baptized. Hey, the public confession of your faith is important. That the world needs to know now that you are a Christ follower. That you've given your life to Christ. It's a statement to the seen world and to the unseen world that your life is in Christ. And so you would say after the encounter, hey, you ought to go to an encounter. Why should he go to an encounter? Get away from the world and to spend time with God. To, to, to get away, let God begin to transform you, maybe deal with some of the past sins and things in your life to show you what path to begin. And after school, uh, after uh, encounter, Serve. you would begin to get him serving. We as a church would get him into what? School of Discipleship, S-O-D. Oh, yeah, he's, oh, yeah, I'm not going to forget that. And I would begin to get him in. What are you doing? You're discipling him. You're helping to assimilate the word of God. You're helping him to get into, Tyree, to get into a community of other believers. Because here, Marcos cannot be the only one that's discipling him. He cannot provide for all his needs. Spiritually, emotionally. When, when you're dependent on just one person... They're going to let you down. They will disappoint you. They will not be able to be there for you 24-7. There will be things that will come up that you may not even agree with. And so God has put a community around us. That community, by the way, is a small group. You're a small group leader, right? Yeah, a small group. So you would be getting him, are you a married group or mixed? A vibe, vibe. Uh, vibe, young adult group. Guys, girls? Mixed, yes. Mixed, amen. Single? Married, all of it. Okay. So he would join that group, and all of a sudden he gets what? Community. You guys following what's happening? Now, this is the scale. If it started way over here at negative 10, way over here, he's cynical, he's a skeptic, 
But boy, Marcos is spending time with him and walking a faith journey and sharing his life with him. And now opportunity begins to come and, and he begins to study or hear a little bit about what Marcos is saying. And all of a sudden, he gets to a place where he gives his life to the Lord. Salvation is zero. And now begins the journey of discipleship. Maybe that goes to, uh, Ingo says it's a plus five when he gets all the way over here and now Tyree is going over and looking and investing in people that are cynical just like he was cynical at one time. Because we are disciple makers that are making disciples. Hey, give these guys a hand, amen. Thank you guys. Okay, I know our time's up. I'm gonna finish there. I know you have blanks. You'll get those blanks next week. Amen? Type A people, I know you want it. You're going to get it next week because I think you got the message, right? Let's stand together. Worship team, come on back. We've got to live our life on mission. We talked about the soil, the hard soil. The shallow soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. Each soil represents a different place where people are in their heart and in their journey. The hard soil is resistance, yes. The shallow soil is looking for what they can get. They're joyful, they, they grab it quickly, but then... The reality is there's no depth. They were seeking for the wrong thing. As Nadine challenged us today, we've got to get our hearts wrapped around Jesus. And when Jesus becomes the focus of our life, man, our life begins to change. The preoccupied one, the thorny soil, is that we, we're so preoccupied with life. Now, honestly, that's where a lot of us are at. We get preoccupied and there's so much that's going on. Church becomes a little part of our life, but it's not the focus of our life. See, what God desires is that we personally are good soil, but the challenge to us as the farmer is keep sowing seed because you don't know where the seed is going to fall and at what stage they are in their journey. You see, three years ago, you might have been ministering to somebody or talking to somebody that was very cynical, very skeptical. But what you don't know is what have they gone through in the pandemic? What have they gone through in their life, in their marriage, in their home, in their life of, 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 of whatever it is that's in their realm? They begin to get to a place that now they're much more open. They're willing. And all of a sudden, Man, as you begin to share, God begins to open their hearts even more and they make a decision. What I love about the soil is the willing mind. It says they heard it, they received it, and then they begin to obey it. And it bore, it bore fruit in their life. CLC, we have a life mission. We're not just to be a rescue club that just meets in the room, but we're a rescue society. 
We have a purpose. We have a mission. And we must pray that God would help us to live that out. That prayer is a prayer of conviction. It's a prayer of reminder. God, remind me to be praying for those that are in my sphere of influence. Today, we gave you, as you came in, a little tool that I want to encourage you to use as you leave today. I believe we have a digital version online for our online family. We call it the Life Mission Card. You see, in your sphere of influence, in your life, are people that you work with, your coworkers, neighbors that are living around you in your house, your apartment, your condo. They live in your neighborhood, maybe family and friends. You have those that you maybe do activities with, your social life. These are all the people that are in your sphere of influence. And what we want to challenge you to do is say, God, as a co-journer, help me to identify where some are on their spiritual journey that I can begin to pray for. In fact, Pastor Sean and his team challenges us to begin to intercede for them every day. He calls it daily five at five. Pray for five minutes for five people every day. Five at five. At five, begin to pray. And as you begin to pray, you're praying to God to open their heart, open the doors of their heart, that, that God would help them to see, that you would get opportunity to share, that they would be open, and as they are, that God, you would begin to do a work in their life. You and I are on a mission. Next week, we're going to begin to show you how to live this out. It begins by praying. It begins by praying. Next week, practically, we're going to help you to see it a little bit more. You know, we have our Easter program coming in a few weeks. I want you to remain standing. But take a look at this video because this is what we can begin to pray that people will be impacted by on our Easter weekend. So in a couple of words, tell me. Who is Jesus to you? He's someone who loved us so much. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. My Savior and my BFF. Jesus is my Savior and my protector. He's a friend to me. He's my father who loves me very much. Jesus is our everlasting father. Jesus is life and happiness. My father and my best friend. He's my everything. Jesus is my superhero. Jesus is a friend. Jesus is transformation inside Jesus to me is my hope. Jesus para mí es todo. Jesus es dueño y libertador de mi vida. El único que pudo transformar y llenar vacíos en mi corazón. Jesus is my rock and my peace. He is my shepherd. He's always with me. My confident and my reason to live. Jesus is my anchor. And he is my holy father. He's everything that I need. Jesus is. So for the next four weeks, for a four-week strategy, it can go beyond that, but for the next four weeks, I want you to begin to identify some of those that are in your sphere of influence, in your zone, that you can begin to pray for, that we can believe on Easter weekend that God will touch their life. Amen? Life on mission. Say it with me. We have a life mission. Father, I thank you for your word. It's powerful. And today I pray for the illumination 
It's not new. Today's word is not new. No, it's a challenge. I pray that the work of the Spirit has been a work of conviction today. Convict us, O oh God, not to forget how good the good news is. That we are witnesses. That, that God, we have a message of hope. That, God, we're here to share it. Our mission is not just to make more money. Our mission is not just to have a better life. No, our mission is to share the message of hope. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you for that call. Thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that as we begin to identify individuals that we work with, that we live among, that we play and socialize with, I pray, God, that as we begin with prayer, that, God, you'll begin to open up opportunities. With heads bowed today all across the room, I don't want to talk about a life-saving message and not give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. If you're here and you know that your life is not where it should be, you know today that that God wants to do so much more. That you need to make Him the center and the focus of your life. Maybe you've been the skeptic or the cynical. Maybe you've been spectating for a long time. Today's the day to surrender. Someone's been praying. Someone has been sowing seed. Someone's been lifting up your name to the Lord and you're here today. Maybe you grew up in church and you wandered in your faith. Today's the day to come back. Today's the day of salvation. Many of you have never taken that first step. You've never shared your life, given your life in humility to say, God, I, I give my life to you. I give my life away. Today, I believe God wants to touch you personally, that you would experience him that you would find the greatest fulfillment and freedom that you could ever have in Christ. But most of all, forgiveness of your sin. That today, the power of sin would be broken over your life. Today is the day of salvation. If you would say, Pastor, that's me. I know I need to give my life to Christ. I need to come back to Christ. I need to surrender to Him. Would you lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. That's me. God bless you. God bless you. I've been a skeptical. God bless you. I've been cynical. I've been drifting. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. You can put it down after you raise it. One more time. You would say, Pastor, I know that's me. Pray for me today. I'm not going to bring you forward. I just want to pray for you. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. I'd like everybody to pray with me, but especially those of you that lifted your hand. Online family, I can't see your hand, but I know, I know you're there. I know God's ministering to you right where you're at. And I want to link with you, my faith, with your faith, to pray the prayer of faith. Believing for what God's going to do in your life today. Pray with me. Say, Father God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of life. For the gift of salvation. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to give life 
to give fulfillment, freedom, and forgiveness. Today I receive the gift of salvation. I need you, Jesus, in my life. I can't save myself. So I turn to you as the Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Break the power of sin. And turn my life around. Today I surrender to you. I love you. And I give my life to you. And I ask you to teach me. Lead me. Guide me. And help me. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And amen. Now before we close, Pastor Nadine's going to come. If you prayed that prayer with me, what I'd like for you to do is I want to partner with you. I want to link with you and help you. As we talked about with Marcus and Tyree, we want to begin to help you to take that journey in your spiritual walk. What I'd like for you to do is take your phone and I'd like for you to text the word decision. You'll see the number on the screen. And if you'll text the word decision, if you can't see the screen, it's 954-320-0009. As soon as you text the word decision, it'll help me to link with you in the journey of life. Amen? Come on, let's give the Lord praise. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.